Welcome to Digging the Dharma, where we dig into the Buddhist Dharma and explore ways of bringing these 2,500-year-old teachings into our lives. I'm Doug Smith of Doug's Dharma on YouTube and the Online Dharma Institute. And I'm John Aaron, teacher at New York Insight Meditation Center and Space to Meditate, and an MBSR teacher and trainer. Greetings, Doug. Long time. Great to see you, John. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a few weeks. Yes. Yeah, yeah I've uh, had a bit of an adventure since then. <laughs> Trip to Colorado okay. and back. I am okay. Yes. yes. About with COVID and and uh, yeah. and leading two wonderful retreats or co-leading two wonderful retreats or maybe I should say one and a half retreats because I had to leave the first one in the middle of it, which was uh, yeah. really sad and hard. But uh, that's when you had COVID, right? Yeah. Yeah, but it's like the way of the the way of well, the COVID was easy. (laughs) That was was just it was a very light case, you know, and and no no lingering effects from what I can tell. But you know, it's the way of the world now, and uh, it is. We just have to get used to it, and and you know, all the precautions. I don't know. Maybe we should. uh, That's a whole other discussion. I don't want to get into that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. but I, you know, when I came back, there was a new issue of Buddha Dharma on the table, and I noticed an article by Bhikkhu Bodhi, which I was really intrigued by. And not intrigued—I mean, intrigued is too strong a word. It was an interesting article about the precepts and war, morality mm. and war, and, and specifically in regards to Ukraine. Yeah, I looked at it. Interesting article. Yeah, yeah. he uh, wrote something somewhat similar a few years ago. Now I'm not going to remember what it was about exactly, but it was on a similar kind of topic where he yeah. was talking about. You know, the idea, the whole idea of, I mean, for want of a better term, a justified use of, you know, protective war. I mean, or I don't know what to, what, how exactly to put it in the correct yeah, terms. It's, it's um, tough. I mean, defensive, defensive uh, protection of your own country or something when you're being assaulted by. Yeah, and with no rationale at all. Um, and so, you know, it was the, the, the issue was around the first precept of, of non-killing, non-harming, of course. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, the question of intention is really what uh, the article was about. It's like, when, is, when does the intention of, in this case, killing, really, because, you're, you know, everybody's armed. And, you know, when is that? When, and when is the intention justified and, 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 or when is it not justified? You know, so obviously if, right. you know, if, if, and, and, and as a, as Buddhists and it, uh, there are actually Buddhists in Ukraine. Um, and I don't know how they're working with that, but even if we look back, well, of course, wars in this country are another matter because we're always, we always tend to be in, and now I'm stepping in it perhaps, but, since you know, after we get out of the, the Korean War and the Vietnam and the World War II, of course, you know, our wars have not necessarily been rational. But but Buddhists generally and Quakers and and the like and and certainly some Christians and Jews, you know, you know, would have filed for conscientious objector status. And some people will say that the whole idea of a justified war is like a, is like an oxymoron, right? I mean, that's, yeah, of course. that's, that's yeah. definitely a yeah. way to look at it. And in the case of Ukraine, though, of course, they're defending themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and, and against an aggressor who had no rationale for, or at least no acceptable rationale 
by most people's standards of attacking a sovereign nation. Right. And worse and worse, you know, creating true atrocities in the, in the process. Um, and so as a Buddhist, if you were in that situation, how would you deal with it? You know, if we're, if we're you know, sticking to our moral, the, the, the ethical precepts of non-harming and non-killing, how, how does one work with that? Yeah. Um, and uh, he didn't actually say this, but I mean, and I've, I may have talked about this in an earlier podcast when we were talking about the precepts. To me, like when it comes to killing, say, a mosquito or a tick, or I think the, the example I used in that podcast was when we were in Costa Rica and there were these things called bullet ants. Oh, yeah, yes. And, um, <laughs> Terrible sounding you know, things. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, our, the person who was hosting us said, you know, if you see one of those, you probably want to kill it. And so the first one I killed without even thinking about it. And then the next one, when I killed it, I at least acknowledged, you know, that I was taking a life. And I think that, and, uh, yeah, somebody was, somebody was reading last night, a, a, a Thich Nhat Hanh teaching of a similar nature. And this goes into right livelihood as well as the story of a, you know, historical story of a, a man who inherited his cattle cattle farm, I guess, from his father and, you know, treated his cows very well and he slaughtered the cows himself. And it was a question of, you know, how did that kind of fall into the precept of non-harming? Um, because he had to make a living for his family, you know, and support his family. And he felt that he was you know, treating the cows well and, and, and acknowledged and even blessed them to some degree, you know, I think when he was slaughtering them. I mean, of course, one of the, one of the standard five wrong livelihoods is, is involved in meat, you know, um, butchery, I think is considered wrong livelihood, at least traditionally. Um, right. So there's a question about, you know, how we want to, you know, consider this from a contemporary standpoint and, and from his standpoint, for sure. Which is somewhat different than, you know, killing somebody in the act of war when you're defending yourself. Right. You know, mm -hmm. or defending your family or defending your country mm -hmm. to, you know, very direct atrocities and aggression. Right. And, you know, I think Bhikkhu Bodhi's point was, yes, as hard as it is, you know, uh, that the intention is defense. The defense is protection. Um, and, and there's very little choice, I suppose. At the same time, you want to acknowledge what's going on and, and, you know, what, where do the karma consequences end up? Yeah. You know, and I the think uh, there's also this huge complexity, which he gets into as well in the article that, you know, that you can't even justify that though by early Buddhist standards. You know, he, I mean, right. Bodhi was very exactly. clear in saying that, you know, he was looking yes. to the later Mahayana teachings that seem yeah. to support the idea of using violence in a defensive way um, in order to save yourself or other people around you. But he says there's really no evidence for that even in the early teachings. Um, and I would agree with him 100%. Uh, the early teachings are really quite austere in really saying that violence of any kind is always 
wrong, no matter what you're doing it for. I mean, the sort of the famous, which we've talked about before, the famous uh, issue of uh, the two-handled saw, you know, that nobody, even if somebody is hacking you to pieces with a saw, you're not allowed to have any kind of bad feelings. And there's, and, you know, I mean, admittedly, you can say, oh, well, so you can, you can fight back without bad feelings and fight back with a mind of loving kindness, but it doesn't even talk about that. I mean, there's no, no, right. no discussion yeah, of, true. Of, of that. Appar- I've heard from some people that in the Vinaya, and I, I haven't looked this up, but that in the Vinaya, it does talk about how m- monks can defend themselves in certain circumstances in certain ways, at which, uh, at least from what I was told, can include violence. In other words, that they can really be actively defending themselves if somebody's attacking them. But I haven't read that part of the Vinaya, and uh, I'd be interested. Maybe some of our comment, some of our listeners will, will uh, have right. have that in mind. So just. Right, so the Vinaya is the, is the basically the rules that the monks the, are the monastic are rule book. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, which um, is not necessarily as early as the Buddha himself, but um, some of it does go back to him, probably. But anyway, well, generally, the, the so often those rules came out of an event that happened. They're related right. to very specific things with a specific monk, and then it just get it got codified in some way, mm-hmm. um, and. You know, it's so interesting, though, because, again, it's like, well, if you live by those early teachings so strictly that they are, you know, in a way causing other kinds of harm, you know, that's that's where the intention, you know, comes in, mm-hmm. right? And and I think that, you know, even, even, you know, looking at the very first chapter of the Dhammapada where it's like, you know, everything is preceded by mind and how clear is the mind when it's acting in a particular way mm-hmm. um, and how, uh, you know, how much, how, how aware are we of intention and attitude and, and emotion at the time we are acting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, in, in a, in an armed conflict where the aggressor is threatening on so many different levels, you know, is it at that moment, you know, ethically justified and is, you know, to not do something, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that I think is his question. Um, yeah. And there's the other, the other issue, you know, which, uh, which Bhikkhu Bodhi also talks about a little bit of the distinction between the, I, I don't, I don't really know what term to use the justification or non-justification of a monastic versus the justification or non-justification of a layperson, because right. presumably uh, a monastic should be held to a higher standard, and certainly the Buddha himself seems to have done so. He seems to have felt that monastics really, in a sense, were held to a higher standard than the layperson who was expected to use money, who was expected to uh, have a livelihood, which was at times potentially dangerous or bad for him or somebody else. He was expected, or he or she was expected to defend their wealth. Um, that's mm. one of the things he talks about, that the, one of the duties of the layperson is to defend their wealth. If you look at that passage and say, well, you know, here's a way people in Ukraine are defending their wealth. Right. Um, you know, I mean, that's not something that a, a, a monastic would do, but it's something a layperson should do. So, I mean, there's, it's, it's, it's very complicated. And I think part of the, the issue sometimes that I see in comments online um, is people trying to make it simple. You know, I mean, everyone wants it to be simple. Right. Uh, 
and it's not. It's like it's, abortion. It's, <laughs> it's like yeah, it's, it's it's nuanced exactly, mm-hmm. and and every case is different. Now, I mean, another place to look around this, and I, I don't I don't think he talked about this in his article was is is uh, Myanmar, you know, mm. where you have Burma, yeah yeah where you have yeah. you know a Buddhist country, yeah, and you have a a junta that is you know basically a dictatorship, very yeah. violent, very violent. Lots of protests going on. Um, and I have a student actually who uh, wrote me. He, uh, he had just come back from a 45 day retreat right at the time of the, the two, the two executions that happened of these, you know, um, mm. uh, members of the democracy. Act yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, terrible terrible yeah yeah and this is going on constantly plus they're just continual acts of terror and so you know there there are a lot of monks i don't well of course there's one monk who's who actually advocates for violence against non-buddhists you know which Mm -hmm. of course there's no that that is really uh no justification for that at all yeah yeah. and then you know and then there's somebody like my friend who who is he's going to leave the country because he he figures there's going to be civil war, mm-hmm. and he he doesn't even though he's obviously for the the pro democratic movement, he himself can't justify those actions. Um, yeah, and yet who could blame him if he if he did, you know, because yeah. he's really defending a, a country and and a people and and you know against a really awful regime, so. Uh, I'm, I'm actually surprised that Biko Bodhi didn't talk about that um, particular situation. Yeah, I mean, of course, yeah, he he might in a future article, yeah. I think. And he, he certainly, I think he's mentioned it, um, at least in, in passing, um, in person, I've heard him talk about yeah. it. Um, yeah. I mean, my friend, um, the scholar Paul Fuller, I don't know if you know him, he, he did a book on um, views in early Buddhism. Oh, right. Sure, um, you gave me that book. Or you sent, yeah, yeah. I, I think I yeah. at least mentioned it to you. Um, he... Uh, his, I think his wife is from uh, is from Myanmar. In any event, he follows that quite closely and posts a lot on, for example, on Twitter about uh, news articles um, and uh, often about how the a lot of the monastics are really quite up to their necks in in this on the sides of the junta. Um, because, yeah, because they're supported by them. Well, that's the thing. And historically, um, the Buddhist Sangha has, in many uh, countries in Southeast Asia, been very close to the ruling families um, for good and bad. Uh, I mean, certainly for good in the sense that it it gives them benefit and gives them money and allows them to expand and be powerful. But on the bad, uh, as we see here, um, it, it can lead to justification. Uh, and, and even monastics, you know, he I think he posted a photograph of a monastic with a, an assault rifle firing into the air and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, you know, I mean, hard to know what to what to say. Right. And then when they're in that position, where, when they're so heavily supported by the government, as also to some degree the case in Thailand, you know, when yeah. the government is doing something horrible, they can't really say anything about it. Yeah, yeah, well, absolutely, yeah. because they um, would be punished. Or they can say, but if they did, they would right. lose all of their, you know, access to power and might even be or worse. Uh, jailed or killed. Yeah, as has happened. Um, so yeah. it's not, this is not theoretical. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why some Buddhists um, 
you know, really don't think that Buddhism should have anything to do with politics at all, um, which we can talk about in a future in another uh, podcast. Future podcast yes. maybe. But um, yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, just getting back to, to, to Bhikkhu Bodhi's point, I mean, I, th- I think, and this is of course the case with all, all the precepts, you know, and, you know, is, is the intention behind one's actions. Um, and, and awareness at least of the karmic consequences of these, these actions. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, I guess the, the real question comes down to like, in terms of just practice day-to-day practice, let alone, you know, practice in the midst of a war, if you happen to be in that kind of situation or in the midst of aggression, I mean, certainly we're, we, we've, you know, we may find ourselves in the midst of aggression. It's never happened to me, but but certainly, you know, living in New York City, you know, all sorts of things can happen. And sure, and the, anywhere, really, yeah. yeah. And and so the question becomes: Well, how do you, you know, do you not roll over, but do you just have compassion for the people who are aggressing against you, even though it may harm you physically or harm others physically? Or do you act in a way that is that would be seen as uh, as uh, harming others, while at the same time protecting others? You know, and so yeah, I mean, p- perhaps tr- trying to act in the way that is produces the least harm to all the people. Exactly. You know, sort yeah. of a, you know yeah. I mean, a philosophical way of putting it. You know, yeah. sort of maybe a little harm now can waylay the possibility of much greater harm in the future, and isn't that a decent outcome right yeah you know yeah so that's always a good motto to live by do the least harm possible but we aren't we're we we don't know and we don't know and also we don't necessarily in the moment yeah for sure have that on our minds you know Mm -hmm. um i mean that would be a very deep practitioner who could you know be assaulted in some way and not react or only react (laughs) doing the least harm possible and having that well, fully in, in, in one's awareness at the time. Well, I mean, we, I mean, for instance, people talk about like, you know, the school shooters and the idea of, you know, the, the, the good guy with a gun, you know, and look, you can understand someone saying, look, if, if I just take out this one shooter. Oh, absolutely. Him, yeah. Um, I would save 30, 20 lives right. or 30 lives yeah. or whatever. And, and, you know, I mean, that, that makes some sense. Mm-hmm. Um, difficult though it might be to justify even on a, certainly on an early Buddhist stand, it would be difficult to justify, but then maybe that's really a problem. I don't know. I mean, that's, um, it sh- maybe it should be easier to justify than, than it is. Um, well, one thing that he, one thing that he, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I mean, this is our practice, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah. and um, now mind you, you know, in, again, in the moment, in these moments where, where the timeline is, is so condensed, you know, anybody who's got that level of practice, who can process all that in the mind and then act accordingly, it's, that's kind of amazing. Yeah, uh, but, yeah. but I mean, I suppose it's possible, you know, but you know, a human response is going to be to save the lives you know, if you've got the ability to do that. So, and saving the lives one of more people, you know, is, is going to justify the harming of one person. Yeah. 
Sorry, well, yeah. I interrupted you. You're going to add no, no. I, to one of the things I was going to say is that you know, I mean, th- th- we're we're discussing what is the sort of the it seems the most heart of the problem of dealing with the exact the the, the pain right here and right now, but then Bhikkhu Bodhi also talks about how one of the ways that, and I think this is less controversial, one of the ways that uh, we might integrate this kind of practice is to realize that once the danger is over, that we react with compassion rather than continuing the hatred. You know, once the war is over, how do you deal with um, the aftermath of the war? And of course, that can also be difficult to figure out. I mean, one perfect example being the history of this country after the Civil War. Um, I think a lot of the, the feeling, at least the intention of some of the people in the North and the South was, oh, let's react to the Southern quote-unquote people, which is to say the white people in charge, uh, with compassion by not having them, not forcing them to do anything they really didn't want to. That was what, that would that would have been the way that many people would have justified Reconstruction after the Civil War, but we all know the the problems that had um, yeah. down to the present day. Yeah. Uh, so, these are not easy questions. Yeah. Uh, you know, what, what qualifies as being compassionate? Compassionate to who, you know? Oh, yeah. So big questions. Yeah. And, you know, in a Buddhist context, it's, it's again, it's, 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 uh, really nuanced and, and, yeah. um, it's hard to have compassion, you know, for, so we have these soldiers, you know, Russian soldiers who are following orders, of course, theoretically, or have been brought up in a system which basically has trained them to, you know, just the enemy is everybody. Yeah. Essentially, you know, so that there's perfect justification in killing people who weren't trying to kill you just because they're on the other side. Um, let alone, you know, other forms of torture and rape, things like that. Not other forms, but torture and rape. Um, so, yeah. you know, that, so do you have compassion for these soldiers or not? You know, because they've been put into a system, you know, the causes and conditions of their existence, their life, you know, was beyond their, theoretically beyond their control because they weren't thinking for themselves. Um, sure. Or, or, you know, really aware of their own, they were aware of their own actions, but they weren't aware of the consequence of those actions necessarily, or, or um, I mean, who knows? Well, but I mean, where, I mean, a lot of them have been indoctrinated, as, of you, course, as, yeah. as I think you've been saying. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, that's part of what one goes through when you start in the army or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, I think in early, you know, certainly in a Buddhist context, you can have compassion for somebody because traditionally you believe that they're going to probably suffer the, you know, the consequences of whatever they've, they've done in, yeah. in future lifetimes. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, or at least they're going to suffer the consequence within this very lifetime. Um, yeah, that's where the compassion comes in. And yet, yeah, it's hard. You know, it's like, yeah. So we're supposed to have compassion for Vladimir Putin in that sense, you know, it's like because of the consequences that he's going to face in the future lifetime, if not before, as you said. And yet you you can't really, I mean, this is a question that comes up all the time in class, you know, when, when you're offering loving kindness or compassion to all beings without exception, you know, well, I don't know that I can do that for Hitler or for even for Donald Trump, you know, it's like, um, it's just, I don't know if it's possible. 
Yeah. And that's okay. You know, so it may not be possible for that one person to do. And, and well, it's a, it's a practice, right? So exactly. you, you don't, you know, uh, I think we don't have to hold ourselves up to the, you know, the, the perfection. I mean, you know, don't, don't make the perfect, the enemy of the good, right. as, as exactly. I would like to say. So, I mean, you work towards it, yeah. you know, and yeah, obviously yeah. it'd be great to be there, to be that, you know, person who could, you know, understand what it is to be truly compassionate towards all, but, uh, you know, you have to be honest with yourself and say, well, I really, am, I'm not there yet. <laughs> yeah. It's a tough practice. It is. I mean, it is. we're talking about two very tough practices, actually. <clears throat> you know, one is really knowing the intention behind your actions. And by intention, I think it's not just, well, basically what I've always believed is that if you actually have to rationalize an action, there may be a problem. Mm. So a lot of it has to do with attitude as much as intention and, and emotion behind the action. Um, and in some, I think some translations, you know, when it comes to intention, the intention and emotion are not separate. Um, and so, you know, what are you bringing to the action and, and is the action going to be harmful or not to yourself or to the other? And that's, a, that's a big question because the harm to yourself may be a karmic consequence that you don't know for, we'll never know actually. And yet it's something that comes up. So it's, it's like, mm -hmm. if the question is arising, mm -hmm. you know, if you've been practicing a while so that the question is arising, is this action justified? then very likely it's not. Um, and yet, you know, if somebody's coming at you with aggression and, and it's going to threaten your life, very likely it is, it is uh, something that's justified because you're saving your life and that's saving the life of another, theoretically. So, I mean, and then there's the issue of, let's say, regret over actions we've done in the past. Yep. Yeah. Certainly people who have been in war talk, and I don't know about this personally by any means, but, you know, PTSD and all this kind of, you know, horrible memories of, of, of wars that they may have done things that um, seemed to them correct at the time. Yeah. Certainly they probably did, but now with the hindsight being 2020, they <laughs> may realize that they were not. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, how do you, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with normal regrets? Even if we haven't been in a war, you know, cause we, do stupid things sometimes it happens <laughs> yes it does um yeah yeah and you know how do you work with that and without l allowing it to overwhelm you um because it shouldn't you know it shouldn't overwhelm you yeah big discussion yeah. and uh we'd love to hear your thoughts on this um so feel free to uh send us an email or just go to the website and make some comments good or bad we, we like whatever comments were there and sure. uh you can buy us a and we'll leave a link to the Bhikkhu Bodhi's article. Yeah, try to great. Do that. Thank you. Um, in the in the show notes. Yeah, and uh, yeah, to get the show notes, though, I think you really have to go to the website. Is that is that the case? Or I, you, you know, to be honest, I th yeah, I think so. It's the best um, way. It's the best way. And while you're there, you can way. buy us some coffee. Yeah, uh, we so. like coffee. <laughs> We've talked about that <laughs> yes, before. I think. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, until next time, Doug. Great. Good uh, to talk to you. Likewise. John. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, consider leaving a review on your local podcast directory. It would help us out a lot. You can check John out at johnaaron.net and Doug at Doug's Dharma on YouTube and his Patreon page linked in the notes. 
You've been listening to Digging the Dharma with Doug Smith and John Aaron. Thank you.